0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, and welcome back to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. hope you guys are all having a fantastic start to your week. This week's episode is with the incredible Mr. Stephen Kuhn. So I am personal friends with Stephen, and I remember the first time I started working with him, learned about him, and really started engaging in his story. I was kind of blown away, and I'm going to explain why. So Stephen is a speaker, author, consultant who empowers people to improve their lives through the principles of honesty, integrity, and transparency. He's a man that can turn failing businesses into success, and his clients include rock stars, sports personalities, and celebrities like Mick Jagger, amongst others. He's also got a huge heart and is driven to make an even bigger impact everywhere he goes. And I can't wait for you guys to meet him. But life wasn't always this good. As a kid, he struggled with self-loathing and self-hatred. And after serving on the front line in Iraq, he came away with severe PTSD and suicidal thoughts. But against all the odds, Stephen figured out how to use these rock-bottom experiences to turn his life around into a conduit for joy and love. This powerful mindset has empowered Stephen to turn vulnerability into strength, pain into perspective, and hurt into love. And I was personally blown away on this episode just because some of the stories that Stephen shared from his time in the military kind of had me floored. Just because it's tough, you know, when when you're a civilian, for lack of a better word, living in a conventional world, with conventional problems, you never really get to face the extremeness of the human condition that can cause you to reflect and see things from an entirely different perspective. To hear Stephen go through some of the experiences he did, and I know some of them are, I mean, I was close to shedding a few tears on this episode. It was just really telling. And Stephen's story just shows the power of true self-expression and what's possible when you push back society's expectations of what strength should look like and how he was able to take these stories, these narratives that his mind was playing and turning them around into just conduits for love and joy. And man, like I was blown away. I mean, everything about this episode is what Stay Grounded represents. It's so rare to hear someone speak with such raw authenticity and vulnerability. And on this episode, it was just one of the reasons why I think you're going to find Steven's to be such a moving human being. And I can't wait for you guys to experience him. We have all sorts of links and free downloads and access to Steven, not only his social, but some of the things he's working on in the show notes. So go check it out. He's given away a ton of free stuff. Before we actually get started, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Stay Grounded podcast on any of the podcast apps that you are listening to us on. Make sure to reach out to me personally, let me know what you love and don't love about the episodes. And let me know how you are growing through the Stay Grounded podcast. This is a journey. This is a community. And this is one another helping each other create lives and legacies we love. So I want to hear from you guys. Reach out, whether it's on Instagram, on email, or even just in the reviews, whatever your conduit is, I'm here for you. So but without further ado, I can't wait for you guys to experience my good friend, uh, Mr. Stephen Kuhn. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a fantastic day. This week's guest, man, Mr. Stephen Kuhn. How you doing, brother? Hey, man, brother. Doing all right. This has been a long time coming. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while, and I'm really excited, not only because I know you personally, but also because there have always been things that I'm curious to know about you that we just haven't had a chance to sit down and and chat about. Always working. Yeah, we're always working. working. (laughs) Always working. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that opportunity, man. I wanted to start with a particular question that I've personally been drawn to. You're a pretty happy guy when it comes down to it. Like, you know, stress isn't in your MO, you choose joy, and I can feel the energy just when I talk to you and I'm around you. Usually, though, what I've realized is that the happiest people have experienced the most pain. So I'm um, curious, have you always been happy? Were there points along the journey that sort of showed you the importance of being happy? Or did you just come from a lot of pain and just say, none of that anymore. I want happy.
1: It's a long story, but in, you know, in short, yeah, it's, I came from a lot of pain. So, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, the number one thing on my mind growing up was suicide. And that was because everyone around me was doing it. So my friends, Best friends, schoolmates—it was an, literally an epidemic. And you see, it's really strange, but you see, kids who were maybe not popular or something—they commit suicide. Next thing you know, the whole school's at their funeral, right? And everyone's talking about. Them. There's pictures of them on, on the walls, and and somehow, in your twisted mind, you're thinking, "Well, maybe finally I'll get attention," you know what I mean? And so you start thinking about it, like, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's. I, I'm just being honest here. It's like that was in my head, like, well, okay, these kids, no one, you know, because I wasn't very popular everyone knew who I was, not because I was popular. So yeah, that was a big theme. I mean, I remember I was 14 or 15 and I had with my buddy. We had a shotgun in, in each other's mouths, like at each other, you know, sitting face to face and saying, wonder what it's going to be like, you know, afterwards. And that's just something that uh, any 12, 14, 15 year old shouldn't have to go through, but I made it and it made me stronger. I went to the military at the age of 19. And as soon as that razor cut, started cutting my hair when I was in boot camp, I had a mullet, by the way, it was the eighties. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to need so a picture of that. Long, that yeah,
1: then, well, I'll, I'll send it to you. And as soon as that razor touched my, my, my head uh, when I went to boot camp, I, I knew it was a new me. I knew, okay, this is my chance to get out of that self-hatred, self-loathing, just loser mentality that I had. You know, I really, I was really that, that kind of a person. But it didn't stop there, obviously. There's a whole path that I had to take to get to where I am today.
0: And still yet it's it's a choice every single day, you know, to be happy. Literally a choice. Your time in the military, my brother's in the military and I've seen yeah. how much he I mean, I still remember him going to boot camp, man. Like I mean, he was a complete like idiot in high school. <laughs> like constantly getting in trouble, constantly like you couldn't I mean he could <laughs> not get himself out of trouble. And like then I remember you know, he went through. I think like nine weeks of boot camp before he went to the academy. And after he had gone through the first weekend, I got to see him was like a was like a parents weekend, a family weekend. Right. We weren't allowed to talk to him for nine weeks. We finally everybody came in and, and oh my god, the difference was like stark. It was ridiculous. I mean, he was taking right angle turns. He was <laughs> yes ma'am, no sir, opening doors. I mean, I thought he was a completely different human being. Yeah. But that's kind of the beauty of life, right? Like you get yeah. to define what these moments mean to you. Were there moments in your military career that defined who you became?
1: Most certainly, you know, I, when I joined the military, like I said, I was going off into a new world and to become a new me. I knew that if I stayed where I was in Pennsylvania, I would never become the true version of myself. And I knew that when I was 18, 17, 16. I knew that because I looked around me and I saw just everybody just wallowing in, wallowing in their own sorrow. You know, my family included. And uh, so I have to get out. So I got out. And that was the first step, of course. So I'm thinking I'm free. And you think, of course, when you're young like that, you think, okay, now I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And it's going to go great. Well, it doesn't always go great, obviously, because you have a lot to learn. And I remember I was really bad at sports in high school. I was the biggest guy. Couldn't do shit. I was just do- doofus. I was like dorky <laughs> and slow. I mean, I actually hit. I, I got on what second base one time in baseball. And then the guy behind me, the next guy up uh, hit a home run, but he caught up to me by the time I was at third base. So I messed the whole play up. And that was my, that was my, my MO, I guess you could say. I was always the one who screwed up the last play of the season or whatever it was. It was <laughs> always me, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm not kidding. Like I literally did it every single time. It was like, I had a knack for it. So <laughs> when I went to military, I wanted to end that all. Well, the same thing happened to me there. I could not, we went to the obstacle course. You know, you climb walls, ropes, jump down, low crawl, all this kind of stuff, right? Climb towers and slide down the rope and stuff. And there was a wall facing me at 15 degrees with no rope, and I had to jump over it. It was taller than I was. I'm, I'm uh, you know, six four, so this is probably, I don't know, 7 feet tall. I could not get over this wall to save my life. I, I just couldn't do it. And, and I said, I don't know how to do it. And the drill sergeant took me, threw me down in the mud, and tramped on the back of my neck and started calling me every name you can imagine. And something snapped in me and exploded. And I jumped up over that wall from a standstill as if I was a gazelle. I landed on the other side. I was like, holy shit. And I ran back around, like right around the wall and did it again. He's like, "Come, get moving. And from that moment on, I knew the only thing that was stopping me was my head the entire time in high school. My whole high school flashed behind before my eyes. Like, holy shit, that was me the whole time, holding myself back. I'm capable. I'm fully capable. And that's what showed me when I was 19 years old, jumping that wall in, it was, must have been August of 1986, that I jumped that wall and said, I can do anything I want to do, literally. And I remember right after that, the next obstacle op- op- courses we went to, I saw things, I'm like, I can't do that. And I said, the hell yes, I can. And I just went without any prep. I just like dove in full on and it worked. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And that's a, that's a lot to take in for a 19 year. old. And I used that my whole career to get the best positions, to get the best jobs, to get noticed, right? For me, very early on, I realized that influence is key. You know, leaving a lasting impression so people remember who you are. So later when you need something, you can say, hey, remember me? And they go, of course I do. So always elevating others, helping others uh, succeed, doing things for people uh, without an expectation. These are all things I was doing intrinsically without even thinking about it. And then, then Iraq came, right? So I went to the war in Iraq, desert storm the first time. And the scare shitless, you know, uh, people forget that there was supposed to be 100,000 casualties on our side because Saddam Hussein had five tanks for every one tank that we had. Wow. So we were the very front line and they told us, you're not coming back, pack your bags, pack boxes for your family members. So I packed boxes, you know, my brother, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And I put things in there. I didn't have much, put things in there that I thought that they would want to have. And then I wrote a letter to each one of them as if I was already gone. And that was the hardest thing I ever had to do. <laughs> saying goodbye to your mom, your dad, your brother, and your sister before you even, you know, before
0: you even leave for war, you know. Can I ask you something there? You know, I've always believed that I don't usually like to think of the worst thing that's going to happen because I'd rather just focus everything on the best thing that's going to happen. Right. When you were in that situation where you were forced to face the hard potential reality that you wouldn't be able to say goodbye to your family properly, did that change the way that you performed moving forward? Uh, immediately, what it did change in me was that I
1: accepted the fact that I wasn't coming back. So I knew that I had to, I, I, I mean, I literally saw myself covered in the flag in the desert as a hero. Like that's, that's the picture I had to put in my head to move forward. So I put in my head that I'm going to do the, the most amazing job that I could ever do. And I'm going to perform my tasks. and I'm going to do what I have to do to complete the mission. So I, I focused only on that and I forgot about the rest of what may or may not happen afterwards. I didn't even want to think about it. And the whole time we were there until the, until the, the ceasefire, I was ready to go. You know, we, I just knew we weren't coming back and we accepted it and that was our fate. And that's probably why we did uh, what we did and why we were so able to, put, to perform so well. You know, we were the front there. If I had been anywhere more front, I'd have been Iraqi. You know, it was like, I was, I was, we were literally the, the front of everything. So, it, it definitely changed my performance. It made me 100% focused without any distractions whatsoever. And thank goodness there were no there was no internet or cell phones to call home with. I don't know how I would have dealt with that.
0: That 100% focus that's so hard to achieve today in today's age. Yeah. How do you leverage that experience to create focus today? Has it changed your way? Did you bring back any? Like I mean, because I can see that experience. To me, man, like I mean, I don't even know how. When you're that focused and you feel almost like that, it's almost like an ecstasy that comes from not thinking about anything else, except you almost lose yourself. Have you ever felt that level of connection to something in front of you since?
1: Oh yeah, that's how I operate. So I don't think about the past or the future anymore as much as possible. You know, obviously you have to plan for your kids and you're, you know, all this kind of suffocation and things. But when it comes to my day to day and my mindset, I don't think about the past or the future. I focus on this, on the situation at hand, if there's a situation at hand. I focus on that and, and that only. And then focus doesn't mean blindly staring at one spot. Focus means I'm aware of all opportunities that present themselves in that situation. So a lot of people, they'll set a goal and there'll be tunnel vision toward that goal. See, I have a vision towards a goal, but I look left and right. Because if you ask any successful person, they're going to tell you 40, 50% of their success is like coincidence and luck. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm only focused on that target, and I don't see the left and the right. I'm going to miss luck. I'm going to miss coincidence. i miss all that stuff. So yeah, I'm always present because I know if I'm not, I'm going to miss all that. You know, that's one of the reasons why I stay present. But yeah, it's, it's really helped me focus. I don't, I didn't think of the future at first when I started doing this. I didn't think of the future because I just thought it's just too much stress, man. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I just want to do the best I can do now. And I know
0: if, if, if I do the best I can do right now, the future is going to be cool. It's going to be okay. Why are you so against stress? You know, I've always believed that like stress can be healthy. I mean, physical stress, when you're working out, pushing your body, like that can have a very positive output. So are you talking about all stress or is there a certain kind of stress that you are adamantly and vehemently against?
1: Yes. Well, I train every day. So I'm, I like that kind of stress, (laughs) you know, but I, I'm stressed against any kind of, I mean, I, I avoid any kind of stress that comes from other people. So anyone who, who, any kind of stress, I mean, anyone wants to change me or wants me to act this way or do this or, you know, someone who badmouths me or, or tries to, re- whatever. It's just any kind of negative negativity anywhere from anyone else that's not my own making. That's, I'm just against like, I just, okay, I'm done and I'm walking away, brother. That's it. You know, I just don't deal with it because that'll take you down a rabbit hole and you start thinking and why and what and how and when and why, what did I do? And, uh, next thing you know, you're way off path of where you should be. This, it's not a mistake that I fall into these things all the time, like these positive things, amazing things, you know, plane rides and, and it just, it just, it, it's not a mistake. It's because I'm always out there pushing the positive, looking for the positive, elevating people, making them feel fantastic, saying, uh, you know, I love you to as many people as possible every single day. You know, these are the kind of things that are a part of my habit and who I am as my identity now. And that keeps that negativity and that stress at bay most
0: of the time. And if it doesn't, I address it, boom, nip it in the bud and then it's done. When was the first time you felt this identity come up for you? You know, you had that identity shift when you were in boot camp, where you went from somebody who didn't believe in yourself to then all of a sudden I can do anything. When was the point where you felt your identity shift from somebody who maybe wasn't so positive to constantly seeking the positive in life? I think the seed was planted
1: in Iraq still. So I, you know, after the ceasefire, we had set up checkpoints on Highway 8 outside of Basra. And if anyone remembers the Gulf War, President Bush senior said to the Shiites that they need to form an uprising against Saddam Hussein and the Sunnis and that we the troops on the other side of the no ceasefire zone would come in and help them right while well, they started the ceasefire or they started the uprising and we didn't help them we were told to stand down so we watched as Iraqis got massacred and it was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life the wounded would come to our checkpoint for help and we could help them but we couldn't hold on to them we had to send them back out into the into the desert into who knows what And one time I'm sitting there, standing there, and um, I see this pink dot coming down the desert. And there's a little girl with her hands out like she's playing, like airplane. And there's an older woman with her. And as I get closer, I see that she's wearing a pink, like a summer dress, over top of a completely burned body with her clothing stuck to her. This is a little girl by eight years old. I brought her to the the dispensary or the medics in the track that they were in in the little tank they had. They bandaged her up. She came back outside and, you know, what do you do? You have to send them back out in the desert. So, you know, I reached into my grenade pockets. My aunt had always sent me butterscotch candies, you know, the hard candies. So I pulled out a butterscotch candy and I handed it to her and she smiled, man. You know, she had the most perfect white teeth I've ever seen. Her face was all charcoal, but she smiled because of a piece of candy. And I, I don't know if anyone could ever go back to being negative after that. I don't think anybody could have that situation presented to them and think that their life is shit anymore. So that's where the seed was planted
0: for me. If I, if I want to dig deep. Yeah. That's, and that's a beautiful reminder of the, the, the idea of joy in general, like joy doesn't come from the big things. It doesn't really come from the milestones. It doesn't that you might feel proud, which is a subset of joy, right? Like when you feel proud, you feel good, by yourself, but joy in itself is something that can be manufactured and created through the littlest of things, through a smile, through a, it's contagious. It's yeah. a contagious energy. Man. And clearly, you took it with you. You've taken it with you your entire life from one situation. Now, when you see people in your life, like I guess family members, right? Like you were in that situation, you experienced. Seemingly, probably the hardest thing anybody could possibly experience. When you came back, like, were your family members, uh, like, like, how did you teach them to embrace joy or did you impress it upon them? Did you, was there stress in just trying to do that? Because I feel like that's half the stress for a lot of people. Like, if I was just in a bubble with a lot of happy people or you know, in a bubble with zero stress, like being happy or joyful is easy. But when you're constantly surrounded by stress, it becomes a lot harder. So, yeah. how did you carry that experience and infuse it into your life? Well, I came back uh, from the war. I was stationed in Germany. So, I came back
1: and I had no friends there waiting for me. I mean, most of them were still deployed somewhere or, you know, went home on leave. And uh, I could go home and leave for another, I think, two months. So, I was stuck in Germany by myself. So, I had, you know, two friends, you know, Jim and Jack, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Jim and Jack Daniels, right? So, those are my two friends. But when I did make it home, I tried to. It wasn't conscious at first, of course, you know, but I realized that they were talking about things that didn't matter. They were complaining about things that had absolutely no effect on the quality of life. And it just struck me as like, wow, man, stop. You know, you, you know what you're doing sort of kind of thing. And they're like, come on, you're a little whatever, you know, this is life. This is how it is. I said, yeah, look at the news. Look at everything's negative all the time. How do you live like this? I can't live like this. And this is before internet. This is before bombardment with cell phones and texts and messages and all that kind of stuff. This is before that. And they, they thought I was nuts and they sort of blew me off, that kind of thing. But as the years went by, my family, so my grandmother, and grandfather, had five kids and those five kids, my aunts and uncles all have at least three or four kids. And there was always fighting among two or three of them and no one ever got along. I was the only one that would visit all of them when I went home because I didn't care what their problems were. It didn't affect me. I wouldn't, I would never take up their negativity. And if they started talking bad about one of the other aunts or uncles, they'd be like, look, I'm here for you. That's all. Just to see you because I love you. And they're like, Oh, wow. Okay. People aren't used to that. When, when you don't like even friends that you have, they start talking bad about somebody or negative. I'll stop them. Say, look, brother, I'm sorry you feel that way, but let's not do this. You know, I'm here for you, you know, and that shocks people to the point where they go, they want to start being around you. They want to start having you in their
0: life, man. And it's amazing. I totally resonate with that. I mean, I mean, I've been around lots of friends, family members, people, especially as I've grown, you know, I went from like full-time engineer to like very different social circles, (laughs) right. And very different mindsets in every place. And I remember there was a a period in time where, you know, I was just so relentlessly obsessed with trying to just think about possibilities, whether it was possibilities of love. If I was with people, like, let's talk about each other and how we can do something together or have fun or appreciate life. And it does, it creates a ripple and it's, it's a lasting ripple. And it's almost like the best thing you can do for people is just give them your best.
1: They earned it. I I always see it that way as they've earned it. People in this world seldom get what they deserve in the good sense, right? Too often they get what they deserve in the bad sense, but not in the good sense. Yeah. So when I, when I see people around me, like I, I do whatever it takes to make those people in my life enterprise. Like I believe in the life enterprise concept that we're all CEOs of our own life enterprise. And just like any other CEO of any business enterprise, we're responsible and we answer to the stakeholders, right? And those stakeholders in our life are our clients, our customers, our family, our loved ones, you know, our brothers and sisters and family. And we owe it to them. That's why I say they deserve it. They're in our life enterprise. We have to elevate them to a point where we leave them every time we see them in a better place than when we showed up. That's just sort of my principle. And that's how I ensure that I'm always creating that radiant value, that ripple effect, that I'm investing in that relational capital every single day. I'm, I'm investing in the people around me, all these stakeholders in my life, whether it's the bag lady down the street, the, 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 the postman or my wife. It's, it's a conscious effort to say, I'm not going to engage in that conversation right now because it's just her being emotional or him being emotional, but I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to elevate them, make them feel fantastic. Forget they ever thought about that. and
0: I'm going to walk away and they're going to be like, oh, I feel great. That takes a a massive amount of ownership, though. Did you always have that attitude of ownership? Like, and and where did, yeah. So talk to me about that, like how that came about. Like, how did you get to the point where you were so glad to be taking so much ownership of your life?
1: Well, I I got out of the army, stayed in Germany. First job I had was a doorman. What else are you going to do? I had PTSD, raging PTSD, but no one knew what PTSD was back then. So no one treated it and didn't know what to call it. Actually, it was in my medical files, but I didn't understand what PTSD, I thought it was an initials of some doctor. And uh, so I, I didn't, no one knew what it was, you know, I was like PhD, no PTSD. That, special. that must be special, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I got out and I was raging and I, I was in Berlin, Germany. It was during the high, the high point of techno music, you know, where techno music just came out in 1992, 1993. And, um, I, I, just, you know, went nuts and I was the nightlife guy and I just got into fights all the time and people would come up and pick fights with me because they heard it was this tough American GI there. And, and I just fought all the time, made some money sometimes, you know, too, it was people just bet with me and stuff. And, you know, I, 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 at one point I had a breakdown, I woke up naked in the park in Berlin and I was like, what, f- what am I doing? What, you know? The only good thing is, is in Berlin, you can be naked anywhere. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it's co-ed nakedness wherever you go. So it's really strange. But so it wasn't weird for people to see a naked guy laying in a park, right? Thank God. So I, you know, I got a towel from the lady beside me and told her what happened. And, and I made my way home. And I was living with a woman at the time who I was going to marry. I couldn't connect with her. Like, I couldn't see her from my eyes. I only saw her, us from above. Well, I, I guess it's an out-of-body out experience. Well, that lasted two weeks and I couldn't. I was going crazy. I was like, I can't connect with my body. I was, I was outside of it. I was driving me nuts. because Everything she said would echo. And she was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you looking at me like that? Well, I couldn't see her from my eyes. I could only see her from above. So that was like two weeks. I'm, I'm talking nervous breakdown material right here, right? So I'm losing it, you know. I woke up one day and it was all back. But I had like a warmth in me. You know, I had, I had this like massive appreciation for being a human being. You know, I, I felt like, wow, I can feel my body. I can see out of my eyes again. I feel warm. I feel confident, you know. And, you know, I said, I got to start over. I can't do something. I, just, I can't live like this anymore. And I guess through trial and error, I got out of that, got into security. Then I got into insurances. Then I got into, you know, bodyguarding and you know, the Mick Jagger thing. And it just kept going on and on and on until I realized that every time I had a negative situation in my life, it was typically because someone planted something and I reacted to it. So I was like, okay. If someone comes to me with something negative and I react, I'm going to have a shitty day. So just don't react yeah. anymore. Avoid all negativity. Now, it doesn't mean avoid responsibility for what happens that's negative. You take care of that nip it in the butt immediately. I'll give you an example. On this trip when I was in Peru, just I just got back two days ago. Yeah, We were on a bus with four other um, soldiers or you know, we had a, it was myself, Army, Lane was Army, an Air Force guy and a Navy guy and, a, and, a, and an Austrian guy. We were on a bus going to Machu Picchu. A car flipped in front of us landed on its roof. And there was like an 80 year old man trapped inside. And there was like 10 Peruvians. there freaking out. Like they didn't know what to say. Blah, 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 blah. I got out. I'm like, okay, everybody on the side, move. You know, we just bah, 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 dah, dah. Well, I flipped the car over, pulled them out. And it was cool. We got in the bus and went about our way. It was like, not a big deal. Right. We took a negative situation, made it positive and drove onward. And we smiled about it. We didn't hang. Oh my God, how bad is this? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my, it wasn't like that at all. It was like, let's fix this right now. Do what we can do. Lead by example, make it happen, onward, upward. And that's not, that doesn't come from military training. A lot of people think it does, but that comes from the mindset training that we have in our groups that, that, you know, that we were on, on the travel with. And so that's how, that's how I deal with every situation. How can I make the situation in front of me right now that's negative, positive? We had a, you know, a situation like that yesterday, you and I, right? And that was my only key was like, how can I make this better? How can I make this? So we walk away smiling. That was my only thing I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. Because inside of me, the love that I have for you as a brother and for the, my, my mention, they say in German, my the people around me is more important than money, more important than influence, more important than looking good, more important than and anything. Because you know, when it comes down to it, the only thing we have left when everything's
0: gone is that human connection. And that's just, for me, that's everything, man. What about the connection to self? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you mentioned you had this out of body experience, Right. And then you came back. Why do you think that out of body experience happened? I can, I can only philosophize about it or try
1: to guess, you know, I think it was my destiny trying to tell me to wake up, you know, and say, look, man, you've got more than, you know, you know, we're always looking on the outside for something, right? You all need more money, a better job, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's so mundane now. Like I, it's for me, that's, just all, and, and this might sound a little weird, but that's, that's for the non-enlightened, I guess you could say that haven't realized that, man, that's, that's not life at all. What is life? And what is life is you? You know, your life like it's a fulfillment. Giving love, receiving love, man. And just being with the, the people that matter to you most and feeling that that electricity between each other, you know, and experiencing everything you want to experience with those people, no bars end. You know, just just go out and do it. I mean, when I've learned how over the years to set goals in in a second tempo like this, right? So I'm thinking, I'm like, oh that'd be nice. Yeah, okay, we're gonna do that. And yeah, oh that oh, we're gonna do that too. And it just is. Like you get so used to doing the good things that it's, it's almost like, um, an automation that, that happens, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's stunning because it always has to do with other people. I love involving other people in my life. I love helping other people, having other people around making it happen. But I also love being by myself. I love my meditations in the morning. I love my journaling in the morning, my reading, my learning, my gym every morning. Love it. That's where I get my, uh, my power for the day, how I start my days, how my day continues. So it's not just other people. It's me as well. I love being by myself. That took a while <laughs> to learn to be by myself. I did that in the monastery. I, in 2008, I had a suicidal episode again when everything crashed. I lost everything. Um, yeah. you know, the market crashed. Yeah. I ended up, you know, in a, in a speed trap. I was going too fast in a 30 zone. I was going like 180 or something like that because I just broken up with my girlfriend who got out of the car she caught up to the speed trap. She was telling me, telling the cops I was, I was a war criminal and I killed people and things like that. And I freaked out, tried to grab the gun of the cop standing beside me to blow my head off. And this little girl who was a police officer trainee, I guess, put her hand on my hand on top of her weapon and turned to me and said, you don't want to do this. This is not you. And it shocked me. It's like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm trying to kill What are you talking about? You know, don't come with me with a reason right now. I don't have a reason, but it shocked me to the point where I stopped. And they sent me home uh, without my car and my license, of course. And they took my girlfriend who was yelling at me to actually do it. They took her away. So I went home. I went into my apartment and I hung up my uniform, my army uniform. Because at the time, I, that was the only thing I've ever done that meant anything to me, you know, in the military. And this is, you know, this is 15 years after I got out. And then I took a picture of myself in my class A uniform, my dress uniform. I put it under the uniform. I fixed the ribbons and I made sure it was hanging straight. And I pulled out a big K-bar knife, which is a, which is a, a military knife, super sharp from the United States Marine Corps. And I put it to my neck. And when I put it to my neck, I saw an engraving on the blade that I, that I didn't know was there because I never unsheathed it before. And it said, for our brother, Stephen. You know, I was like, wow, you know, the fuck is this, you know? And yeah. so I went to cut and there was a knock on the door. I was like, fuck, I can't even kill myself. You know, I was like thinking to myself like that. So I went out to the door with a knife in my hand. I hit it behind the door, opened the door. And it was that cop lady, that young lady, the cop. And she took my hand and lowered it, dropped a knife on the counter, led me into my own living room. And we had a sh- very, very short, but very powerful discussion. She said, look, this is not you. I know you from your readings because I had a best-selling book at the time that I wrote about uh, my golf or experiences. She goes, I know you from your book. This isn't you. You're going to get married. You're going to have fantastic kids. You're going to spread love all over the world. That's who you are. This isn't you. I was like, what? <laughs> who are you? you? know?" And so we got up, she hugged me and we did the, you know, the German kiss on each cheek and she walked out. And to this day, I don't know if it was real or not. And it doesn't really matter to me if it was real or not, because it changed everything for me. You know, I was at my lowest point in life. And this person said what I'm here for. She told me why I was here. Spread love and joy. (laughs) I was like, as general as that sounds, I think it was my job to figure out how, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I did figure out how, that no matter what I do, the positive side comes through. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, who I'm with, where I go, the positive side comes through. I love seeing people smile. It's just one of the things I love. And it's, it's a habit now. So it's not, it's not, it doesn't take any effort at all to be positive anymore.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here, man. You've had a long and interesting life. And it's taken you in many different, many different places. And I'm glad you're sitting here and we're having a conversation. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. I'm particularly drawn to that story of, you said something that really intrigued me. You're not even sure if it was real or not. Yeah do the lessons you receive in life have to be based in truth or do they have to be based in something that's helpful for you? And the reason I ask that is because I see a lot of people, they are waiting for a sign. They're waiting for some sort of message to wake them up or some sort of rock bottom experience to pull them out of the trenches. But what you just said made me, I'm curious now to hear your take on is just, can you create these rock bottom experiences at any moment just in your mind like can you decide truly and give weight to things that haven't physically happened yet that can allow you to take a change in your life, and what does that look like well that's
1: that' be a hard one to do, but if I can just look at myself, of course you know we think of things all the time in the future that might happen. Then we put our mind to it. Next thing you know, we're manifesting negativity. We're manifesting things that happen. You're manifesting not having any money, being broke, this kind of things. You, know? you have two things. You have the mindset and you have reality. So if someone's broke, that means physically they have no money. But if they're poor, that's a mindset. Right? So their mindset is I'm poor and you can give him money and it'll be gone in five minutes. That's why most people who win the lottery are broke within a year or two, no matter how much they win because they have a poor mindset. They have a, a, you know, this, this sort of fleeting scarcity mindset kind of thing. I I don't probably don't have a direct answer for you, but I know that I create my own reality and everything that I do, good or bad. I just ensure that the reality I'm creating is consciously good and abundant. And I believe wholly and fully that whoever put us here on this planet, whether it's God, Allah, whoever it is, the source, you know, angels, whatever, is that they didn't put us here to suffer. Any suffering that we have is man-made. That's our, that's our problem. That's what we got to deal with. Everything else is taken care of. The abundance, the love, the joy, that's already there. That's all taken care of. Like we don't have to even try for that. All we need to do is get rid of this stuff. Stop dealing with this stuff. And that is already there, the love and the joy and the happiness. So for me, it's, it's less work to be happy than it is to be unhappy.
0: <laughs> so I don't think that things exist in the world without reason. So when there's sadness, when there's suffering, when there's anger, or these emotions or these, these realities, they're there for a reason. Right. Why do you think these painful experiences exist?
1: I think we, it's choices we make uh, that lead us down a path to be chosen, not chosen. Everyone has a task. There's a reason all of us are here. You know, we all have a purpose. Whether we realize what that purpose is or think we know uh, is a whole different reason in itself, a whole world, another discussion in itself. But I feel like everybody has a purpose here. And your purpose is to experience what you experience in order to teach others or to grow to a certain point where you can be influential to people around the world to help change the world. And you see it. I mean, take take a panned out view of the world right now. Who are the positive, for real, the positive, productive, constructive influencers in our world right now? It's not politicians. It's not the press, right? It's not sports figures. It's none of those. Who is it? It's the online entrepreneurs. Think about that for a second. They're the only ones that are positive all the time, right? They're the only ones that are talking about possibilities all the time. They're the only ones talking about what you can make out of yourself all the time. They don't talk about politics. They don't get into race. They don't get into gender. They don't get any of that stuff. It's about making the best personal possible version of yourself. Think about that for a second. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. I mean, we're in that world, brother. For me, it's incredible. We have that
0: opportunity in front of us right now. One, to create that or experience it in both capacities. I mean, and that's something I realized very early on that, like my phone, I remember when I first was trying to change my life. I mean, I took the route of brainwashing myself and I used to like take all those guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins and just like literally feed that in my mind every single day. And I think most people don't realize how much free this podcast is free. I mean, there's resources out there that you can take in to create that, that rich mindset, not necessarily poor because poor mindset creates. So I think what I, what I heard from you is that the poor mindset creates the suffering, right? The the scarce mindset creates the suffering because somebody who is in pain can choose not to suffer by having an abundant mindset.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not very good at (laughs) <laughs> articulating it like that, beautiful. No, that's why
0: that's why we're here together, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I have a partner, Lane. Uh, Lane is my partner. I call him the Coon Whisperer because he he takes what
0: I say and like puts it out in in clear language. You know? <laughs> beautiful. I love it. Well, you got a lot of Coon whispers around you right now, <laughs> me included. So we'll take it. I read an interesting article from you recently that that I wanted to dive into because I wanted to hear your take on it. You talk a lot about one of the ways that you got through PTSD was through pursuit of entrepreneurship. Can you describe why entrepreneurship is a vehicle for dealing with something as 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 heavy and and emotionally staggering as PTSD? Well for me, I can speak for myself
1: and others that I've helped, like this trip to to Peru was with others with PTSD, other soldiers with PTSD who are entrepreneurs. I think We have a place of vulnerability that we sit in when you have any kind of affliction. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be depression, whatever. But as far as PTSD goes, we have a place where we sit, which is the most vulnerable place inside of us. And it's scary and it makes you cry and it makes you sad and it, it can make you laugh sometimes too how ridiculous it is. And I think that the key to my success in the boardrooms that I've been in or the deals that I've done or whatever was that I could stay in that place of vulnerability longer than anyone else. And I didn't have to compete on any other level so I don't go in there with my words and my offers and my PowerPoint presentations and all this kind of stuff. When I go to meetings, I go in with me, you know, based on my hit principles, which are honesty, integrity, transparency. And I show up wholly and fully without any expectation or any preconceived notion of how I can solve their problems. I show up fully open and vulnerable. This is who I am. I'm here to listen to you, active listening. And when I hear what you want, then I offer a solution because the two of us coming together, for instance, right now, we're creating that mastermind, right? So that third entity that comes up with solutions that we otherwise wouldn't have. So for me, it's, you know, it's key that I'm sort of within myself all the time, but tapping into that vulnerability as a source of, of productivity, I guess you could say, or influence even within myself, like influencing myself to do things above and beyond what I n- typically would do because I know the strength of, the, I know the strength of that negativity. I know the strength of that hurt. That strength of that hurt will uh, lead me to jump in a, you know, out of an airplane to say, you know what I mean? It's like, it just, it just, that depth. You know, like Martin Luther King, only in the darkness do you see the stars. You know that that kind of thing. So yeah, it's uh, the PTSD is an unending strength. It can be your it can be your demise or it can be your strength. It depends on how you want to tap into it. And I try my best. I still have episodes. You know, two two years ago in summer, my wife went on vacation uh, by herself. Well, actually, I I said go <laughs> to have a break from the kids. And then kids grandparents came and picked up the kids. And within like two hours, I was in this deep spiral of depression, man. And I couldn't get out of it to save my life. It was like I got caught into that mindset of, "Oh my God, you know, here it comes this is the one they always talk about—the one that catches up to you when you hit fifty years old." You know, because the higher, the older you are, the higher, the, the higher the risk is for PTSD suicide. Most people don't know that, but that's that's what statistics say, and that's why I bought into those statistics and believed it. Next thing you know, I'm laying on the ground, having panic attacks at the age of fifty. I, you know, I know what to do, and I just started terrorizing everybody around me, wanting them to push me away. Right? I wanted them to. Tell me, I was an idiot, and that I was right. Basically, you know, God, it was horrible. But I use that for strength. You know, I, I I got up from that. God knows how I got up from that, and I repaired the damage that I did automatically and quickly. Like I, you know, I, whatever damage I do, which I do, everyone does somehow. I, I always face it head on, and and with empathy, and and just say, look, it's everything inside of me says sorry to you. You know, whatever I can do to
0: make the better, I and do. I think that's the power of vulnerability. Yeah, right? like when you when vulnerability becomes the source that you're trying to create value for or the source that you're trying to fix things with or the source that you're using to create something new, like, or the source that you're pulling your purpose from. I think vulnerability is a very beautiful way to almost like keep yourself super connected to who you actually are. And humble. Humble. Yeah. Very humble. (laughs) When When you're vulnerable, you can't, your ego doesn't really shine. I mean, even fear doesn't really shine. Like when you're, when you're, and that's what I, you know, I've realized if with vulnerability, there's actual strength and how has that shown up for you in your life? Like I
1: said, when I go to a boardroom, go to a meeting, I will beat out all my competition with the you know, McKinsey, all those guys, all the big consultants. I would always beat them out because I didn't have preconceived notions. I didn't have the cut cookie cutter solutions. I went in and I talked mensch to mensch, right? I spoke to the person. We created that mastermind between us. We created it. We created that momentum of, of truth between us. It wasn't anything about a product. It wasn't anything about, you know, I got the best services. We have the biggest company. We're international. None of that stuff. It was only about him and I, or her and I, that was it. Being vulnerable and being in that place so long allows me to stand there almost naked for the longest time and it won't embarrass me. So I can go vulnerable all the way down in front of everybody at any time.
0: When vulnerability has so much strength, why are people so scared of being because our society teaches us, you have to be like this. You have to be like that.
1: So you have to act like that. You have to look, like you said, Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, all those guys, they all have their place and the message that they have is right. And they're vulnerable as well. But most people who listen to them aren't the vulnerable ones. They're putting on that face that they have. They copy what they have and they think that's going to make them successful. So if I show my weakness, even our friend, um, I asked him a question. I said, well, you know, when you, um, I'm going to mention his name, but you know what I mean when I say this, but I said, well, how do you, when do you allow yourself to be vulnerable? And he said, only after you have solved your problems, because you can't show your clients now that you're vulnerable only after you show only after you solve your problems, can you talk about it as a lesson, which has merit, but I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that. You're not, you're not going to go with somebody, I'm broke. I can't help. Oh my God. I mean, I'm so, it's not like that. It's like, I get you. I'm here for you and that's it. And I'm not perfect. God knows it. Right. Uh, but I can tell you this, you know, the things that I, that I do for our cooperation, for things that we do, no one else is going to do for you, period. You know, it's it's just because I'm not scared of someone checking up on me and googling me and doing background. I don't, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Do whatever you want. I mean, someone said to me one time, you know, um, what what happens if you're one of those guys that get busted for the pictures of you know his him and his wife having sex or whatever? You know, like they opened up. What what would what would you do? I'd be like, print them bigger. You know, what I mean, that's just, you know, what I mean? it doesn't matter to me. You know, what I mean, it really doesn't. Because that's who I am. That's my wife's a beautiful person, man. I'm a you know, it's we're beautiful together. So for me, I don't see any of that stuff as something that, that would hurt me. Most people do. So they block it up. Don't, can't be vulnerable. We got to be tough. And of course, in our masculine world as well, right? You know, you gotta be a tough guy. You know, you can't show any weakness. You can't cry. You can't, none of that stuff. And I can tell you this in, in Peru first day, I'm talking people who were in politics were with us crying like a baby, letting it all out, man. It was the most powerful thing I've ever seen. The most powerful thing I've ever seen. This trip was amazing. It was all men this time. The first time we've ever done all men. And we, we lit up that vulnerability like nobody's
0: business. And we walked out of there like kings. And I love the idea of vulnerability being like a power, like a cheat code. Some,
1: some people say, well, well you know, you can't, you, can't, you can't show everything. I'm like, well, look, you don't want to go in there and like, go, like completely ball yourself out. You go to the point where to which the situation dictates that both parties have a positive outcome. The same thing goes with honesty and transparency. You're honest and transparent to the degree that the that the situation dictates for a positive outcome of both sides. That's the only reason you're doing it. You're not doing it to prove a point to yourself or just to, to, to them. You're doing it because that's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't
0: have to go overboard. I appreciate the distinction there because it's vulnerability for a purpose. Yeah. Right? Like you're, you're talking about vulnerability in a very purpose-driven sense. Like you whether you're sitting against, across the seat from somebody and you being vulnerable allows them to feel better about what they're doing, which then creates a moment of connection. I see that. Yeah. Uh, and there's that piece also of vulnerability where you're just being vulnerable to get it off your chest. Yeah. But both are healthy, yes. right? Like, so how do you balance the two in your life? Well, in
1: business, it's not, it's not always a great thing to be vulnerable. You know, you don't want to go into your first meeting and talk about, you know, the fear you have and this kind of stuff that might sort of drive the business away. And that's why I say to the degree that the situation dictates that both have a positive outcome. That's, that's how far you got to go with the vulnerability. That doesn't mean being dishonest. That means being honest to a degree that, that creates a winning sort of aura for both parties because that's what both want. Both want to win. And if you can facilitate that through tapping into your vulnerability and showing your vulnerability, then believe me, it's going to create a relationship that goes on and on and on. That's what I call investing in relational capital. You make them feel fantastic. You make them want to be with you. Because you give so much, because you give, you know, the right answers and whatever it is that they they need from you. And the difference for me is with my wife, I can be completely breakdown vulnerable, right? But I can't sit in a board meeting and break down and cry. You know what I'm saying? So I can show aspects of that, that I have that in me, and that will make me sympathetic or them empathetic, Right. To who I am as a person that I, that I can actually dig. Cause when you see me, I'm 6'4, 280, 270 now, I lost 10 kilos, <laughs> 10 pounds, uh, in, in, in Peru. If I walk into a room, I'm big. I'm just a big guy, right? But when you talk to me, they're like, okay, this guy, he's like not scared to say what he feels. Like he's not scared at all to say what he feels. And that it, it creates immediate attraction, yeah. immediate attraction. And so that's why the vulnerability is super powerful, especially in networking events, which I hate. But, you know, if you go to the networking events, I own that room. Like, it's just simple as that. Cause I walk in, I'm like whoosh, open, I'm here, you know, boom, walk up to everybody, fully open with no expectations, with no preconceived notions, with no elevator pitches, just walk up. Hey, how's it going? I'm Steven. Nice to meet you. And, and it, 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 it's more powerful than
0: anything you can practice the way you can dress or anything. Well, it seems like you've become so comfortable with your vulnerability. Right. Like that's there because like if somebody who has never really tried being vulnerable jumps into a room full of people that they don't know and they start trying there. Right. Like you have to put on training wheels before you start riding the damn bike. Right. Yeah. You don't want to overdo it. (laughs) Right. I think that's the beautiful part. Like it's it's amazing for me to see you in your present state and how vulnerability has become your most powerful asset after years of you practicing it, doing it, implementing it, and becoming one with the pain, the suffering, the stories, maybe the the preconceived notions that you might have had about yourself. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of beauty there. Steven, man, I am a massive fan. And I love how just you're I mean you're constantly giving and 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 I, I feel the energy in many ways. Man, like I just want people to know about you. <laughs> <laughs> says, how can people learn more about kind of the the principles that you teach? Because I do think that they're important. How can people learn more about you, what you're doing, how you're doing it? And sure, if-
1: there's three ways. Um one is my website. That's Steven-Koon K-U-H-N dot com. It'll be in the notes, I'm sure. The other one is it's a free training that I give. It's a free training on how to scale and grow your business in 30 days. And it's it's not your typical business. It's all based on the HIT principles. So honesty, integrity, transparency, investing in relational capital, gaining influence, wielding influence, making that influence a part of your life. That's at <laughs> stevenclass.com, S-T-E-V-E-N, class.com. And the other one is a free giveaway. Um, and this is massively valuable. I've used this all over the world. And it's eight ways to immediately, to create immediate impact revenue in your business. And it's surprisingly simple ways to make money immediately. And it's a PDF, free PDF download. The link is below on the, on the, probably on your notes. I don't know what the link is off the top of my head, but it's on my website as a pop-up anyway. Okay. So you go there.
0: Yeah, yeah we'll <laughs> make all these notes available for everybody listening. So you don't have to frantically write all of that down. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but no, man, I'm, like I said, I, it's amazing for me to see. Cause I know how much this is real. This is not just like you here. Like I, I see you and I've been around you enough to know just how much joy almost like spontaneous energy that you're creating and it's amazing for me to know now that a lot of that source comes from vulnerability it comes from really diving deep within yourself and and building self-awareness around those vulnerable points that gives you the access to that it will and it it makes so much sense now and i'm just very grateful that i got a chance to sit down and and, me too man and just and just dive into that man so i got one last question for you in the midst of everything you've done, everywhere you've been, and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded?
1: I have to say that's my spirituality. You know, I'm very conscious of being grounded. Actually, in Peru, just recently, we worked with San Pedro, which is a cactus. They call it the father, the grandfather. And it's all about being grounded. For me, as a, as a, as a man, I believe in providership, leadership, providership. And I believe that the, the humble masculine is uh, the way that we can provide the best. And the way to do that is to be grounded. And to be grounded for me means knowing who I am, where where I am, why I am, and being honest to myself about everything that I'm doing. Literally honest to myself. And that's not about anybody else in that moment. It's about me. Am I being true to who I am? What's my true identity? And am I actually following my my identity? Am I following my passion purpose? And staying grounded, I have to meditate. If I don't meditate for two or three days, I'm already flying, right? So I meditate. (laughs) Yeah. And I end up, it's easy for me to fly. You know, it, it, it's easy for me to get, get, get wound up because I, I talk to like world leaders, like on a regular basis or, or rock star or whoever, you know, on a regular basis, I can just like, it would be easier for me to be one of those guys, you know, like sort of arrogant, whatever. And I've been there too. So in the past, you know, I was one of those arrogant guys. And so I need to meditate. I need to get it all out of my head. I need to learn every day. I need to write every day. I need to meditate every day. That's how I stay grounded. I literally do. And I and I look at my family. I look back. I always do I always do what I do pan out, right? I look at my life and say, God, I can't believe this is my life, man. You know (laughs) that if that doesn't ground you, I don't know what does, you know? I mean it's like I look at my wife, I look at my kids, I look at my life, living in Hungary, living a life, having amazing people around me, and I just go, Wow, man, this is like I'm so grateful for this. So and
0: people like you, man. Honest to God. Appreciate that, man. And the the feeling is definitely mutual. So I'm. No, I'm. I'm glad that we we got to sit down and just dive down the rabbit hole and just just learn. Yeah, it was
1: completely different, completely different than any other podcast I've ever done. So I can tell you that's, that.
0: <laughs> that's, that's generally what I tend to shoot for. So yeah. I'm glad that that's the uh, that's the feeling you've got right now. But guys, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host Raj. This is your friend Stephen. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat real soon.